manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Happy Advent and welcome to another edition of Real Presence Live here on the Real Presence Radio Network. Father James Gross, a priest of the Diocese of Fargo, happy to join you from our studios in the near south side historic district of beautiful downtown Grand Forks, North Dakota, in the Grand Cities, uh, Grand Forks and East Grand Forks. And we have with us who's uh, doing a little bit of maintenance on a clock here in the studio. I'm, I, I know he's a talented man who can manage more than one thing at a time, Father Jason Leffer. Good morning. Father Gross, it's great to be with you in these waning hours of Advent season. Yes, and uh, no, it was is it's especially good to be able to make the trip down here from Walsh County in the wintertime with no worries about uh, uh, weather or road conditions. Hopefully that holds out through the weekend. It, it was a pretty good drive. I almost hit a deer on the way in, though. So they were out, they're all yes. busy, you know, they're not curled up in some snowbank somewhere. So, and you know, and the, those, those frosty dreams of the J-Mart Christmas candy store behind me, you know, in Pizik. Uh, yes. There's been lots of pilgrimages going on to the famous candy store up there in Pizik, so. Yes, yes, I'm sure that's a lot of fun for for everybody there in that community. So we have a number of wonderful conversations I'm going to be launching into today. And before we start those, Father, if I could call on you to lead us in an opening prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. We glorify you. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life, into our hearts, our minds, our imaginations. Awaken and stir all of our spiritual faculties. We ask your abundant blessing upon all of our listeners this day that they may enter into uh, the Christmas season in a state of grace with you, alive in the Holy Spirit. And may the word go forth this day to touch hearts and draw them closer to Jesus Christ. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And St. Peter Canisius, pray Pray for for us. us. The second apostle of Germany, yes. That's right. He was a powerful man. Yes, who who unfortunately gets overshadowed during these final days of Advent. It's almost like, you know, what I always feel sorry for those people who have like their birthday on December 23rd or 24th or or 26th, you know. Mm -hmm. What what do you what do you you know how do you celebrate your birthday and what's it like you know as a child I'm thinking of it as a child yes yeah. yes indeed because it's hard to understand that uh, everything is getting looped together you know that uh, I know this family where there, there's four children uh, there's a set of twins a brother and a sister and an older brother all of them had their birthday on December 24th mm. what family could you imagine the my difficulty? goodness. <laughs> So, 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 mom and dad had a certain time of the year where they were especially amorous. Is that what we're saying? Too? Oh, well, okay, okay, I wasn't thinking that, but you're you're right. You're right. It's probably let's figure. You know, January, February, March. Oh, there are a lot of there are a lot of blizzards in February. I guess something. Like yes, that. yes, March. something like that. Well, moving right along as we begin our first uh, segment of the show today, um, we are uh, merging into literary lane, and we only have uh, one of our uh, experts with us. Father Slattery is uh, busy. Wrangling uh, his students as we come to the end of the, the current semester, but we are very pleased to have Nancy Gord back with, uh, back with us. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. 
Oh, thank you so much. I am excited to discuss today's short story. Well, let's go ahead and, and launch right in. And um, uh, we're going to be talking about a short story, um, very easily accessible and uh, relatively quick read uh, by the name of The Necklace um, by Guy de Maupassant uh, for mm-hmm. uh, Polish French speakers. Uh, my apologies in advance for the ways in which I may butcher some of these uh, names and places. But uh, if you can just kind of get us started, first of all, with, um, uh, with, with who this author was. Well, Guy de Maupassant lived in the last half of the 19th century. He's a master of the short story, a very prolific short story writer. He wrote uh, over 300 short stories and six novels. He was very much influenced by Flaubert. He studied law. He was a soldier in the Franco-Prussian War. Uh, he his evidence for his passion for writing is visible from his letter writing during his time as a soldier, and we often see this in authors. What amazing letter writers they were! Uh, he interestingly enough was one of a group of Parisian writers and artists who opposed the construction of the Eiffel Tower. Uh, he is very much a man who shows realism and naturalism in his writing. He has surprise endings. He's been accused of being a misogynist. And if we compare him to a short story writer like O. Henry, who is very sentimental and optimistic, Guy de Maupassant is very pessimistic. So he's, he's a fascinating writer. He died young. He suffered from physical and mental ailments. And I think he only lived to be 43. But uh, the vast body of his work is available online because it's part of the common domain. So I encourage people to check out his short stories. This short story, The Necklace, also appears under the title The Diamond Necklace, which is ironic if you've read the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's a couple uh, just little things about his life. You know, you're mentioning his, he, he had an absolute hatred for the Eiffel Tower. And there, there's this mm-hmm. kind of cute story. I, I think that was not entirely unusual when it was first built because it no. seemed like a, a sort of a postmodern eyesore and the skyline of Paris yeah. to many people. So the, mm-hmm. the cute story, or from my, my perspective, it's cute. Uh, he and his buddies would always eat in the restaurant mm-hmm. in the base of the Eiffel Tower because they said it was the only place they could go in Paris where they, <laughs> couldn't, they, could, they, they, couldn't, see, they couldn't see the Eiffel Tower. So, But the other <laughs> thing you know talking about his the pain that he suffered in life like he his early family he suffered that uh, there was divorce between his parents which was very uncommon at in his day and age and i guess his father was abusive to his mother he's very close to his mother you know but it and and then his experience in the war so it i, I think it all it played into kind of maybe his pessimism or you know maybe that negative spirit that will kind of come out and then i think there was also uh, um addiction issues in his life with uh, drugs and alcohol right, and stuff. So, right. so he really and did it, had a life of suffering right and it, it was he was troubled and if i go back and i mentioned that some people consider him to be a misogynist and this oftentimes happens if you look at 
everything through a feminist view. But we have to remember, he lived in that last half of the 1800s, and there was a certain fear that women were contained within. And so women had a certain place, and it was really very much in the domestic sphere. So I don't, it was not easy being a woman during the Victorian age. We tend to kind of romanticize it, you know, we think of, of Dickens and the style and Little Women and all of that, but, but it was a very challenging time to be a woman. And we see this in the story with beautiful Mathilde. She is somebody who believes she deserves better than her lot in life, even though she has a loyal husband uh, who loves her who works, she's really tied up with the material aspects and trappings uh, that, that show wealth. And, and she's very bitter and dissatisfied. Can, can you she share with us like the, the, basically the opening line of the story, actually? It, it, uh, it kind of, I mean, the way he talks about her, would you be able to share that with us? Or, or we could read it here, too. If you like, it, um, do you have the opening? Yeah, line it, it just says she was one of those pretty and charming girls born as if by an error of fate into a family of clerks. <laughs> so right, because yeah. she had no dowry then to bring to a marriage, which might mean a better marriage in a higher class. One of the themes of this story is uh, a person and his or her place in society. Where does the individual fit in? And because she did not come from a family with financial means, she couldn't bring anything to a marriage. I think even in, in the beginning of the story, if I recall, you know, she finally married, and she married this sort of government official clerk, uh, not a very high level. You know, one, one thing that, um, you know, from the beginning, just kind of setting the stage of this uh-huh. the story and, and, and thinking uh, about the author, because not only he also was he struggled mightily with religion and mm-hmm. the, the Catholic Church and, and and so forth, and not not that that particularly comes through in this story, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because as you as you set the stage for this, it is inter- It struck me very clearly how um, it's almost like there's an absence of love in the story. Like mm-hmm. everything's official, everything is um, up to form, and it's what's expected of people. But I, I kept my, as I'm reading it, I kept longing for love. Like when, mm-hmm. when does love break through? When when is this about love? Because the her husband, he he's loving to her. I I, I found mm-hmm. him for loving sure. to her. You know, but there was almost like this, in in in, in the interactions throughout the story there. I don't know. Anyway, it struck me that there's an absence of love. I don't know. Did how how do you see that, Nancy? Is that well? And, and I that, think when I when I read this story, what strikes me so much is the fact that there is desire and envy for earthly material things. Oh yeah. And the misery and the, the this is a great folly, and it leads to misery because you put those material earthly things above. Uh, the love of mankind and the desire to lead a Christ-centered life. And we see this very much in her. When you, when you think of the seven sins, and then you look at Mathilde, look at her vanity, which, you know, is prideful, her envy, 
she doesn't even want to go to her friend's home to look at jewelry because she always feels so bad when she sees her friend's lovely things. So she has envy. Uh, there's a greediness. Her husband gives up his rifle money he had been saving for a rifle to be able to go on hunting trips with his friends, and he gives this to her to buy a gown because he's wrangled an invitation to this fancy government sort of thrown ball that they're having. And rather than to be happy with her dress and recognize his sacrifice and love for her, she moans and groans that she doesn't have any jewelry. So we see a lot in Mathilde as examples of, of the type of person we would never want to be, that we shouldn't aspire to be. So there is that love of mankind and appreciation for the spouse and what he's done. And then also, we, we, you know, you have to put Christ at the center of things, or you have this, this empty, superficial life. How about what, what do you think? The, what's the moral flaw where she can't bring herself to acknowledge to her friend that she loses the necklace? What, I mean, what, well, that's the other thing I kept asking myself. Like, why? What, what's the resistance here to be honest or to, to admit or to come forward and, and just... That, anyway, that was, that was a powerful... Well, and, and we talk about the theme of appearances <coughs> versus reality, and it could not ring any more true than in this story. The, the appearances versus reality. Now, her friend loaned her that necklace, lent it to her, but that necklace, and we all find out about that diamond necklace at the end, was in a case that came from a fine jeweler. Right. <laughs> and so right there we have a falsehood. Like she so, and the friend you it makes you realize the friend was a fraud as well in the sense that she was absolutely a, a because phony but because you think life. of a friend you could go, Oh of course, Moro, that I just want to tell you though it's lovely. Those aren't real diamonds. You know, I mean why not be forthcoming? So they're both putting up a front there. Yes indeed. And uh, Right. So, and, and this whole idea of, of superficial, that the jewels in that necklace that she and her husband sacrifice and toil for for 10 years to pay off the money because they got a, a replacement. I mean, it was, there was not, it was not a thing of substance. And this right. is what happens when you, when you put your love into things that are not of, of substance. Eternal. <laughs> yes. Well, we are launching into a discussion about this delightful short story called The Necklace by the French author Guy de Maupassant, and we will continue the conversation after this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing. 
Have you ever wondered if your family's past struggles have affected you personally? I'm Father Chris Alar. You and your ancestors are all part of the body of Christ, so you should desire healing for them for the consequence of their past sins. Evidence suggests that these consequences can even be passed down through generations. Well, God does not hold you personally responsible for the sins of your ancestors. He does allow the effect of their deeds to reverberate from one generation to the next. The sins or sanctity of your family members may impact you. So learn how to break free from any sinful bonds in your life. There is hope. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost. And to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Hello, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. We're grateful for the support of our small business from listeners in the Fargo-Moorhead area. At Lumen Vision, we offer eye exams, vision therapy services, contact lenses, and glasses from popular brands like Oakley, Ray-Ban, Kate Spade, and Eyes of Faith. Lumen Vision accepts many vision and medical insurances, but you don't need insurance to experience high-quality, affordable, Christ-centered eye care from our team. You can learn more about our mission at www.lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on this final weekday, one of the final weekdays in the season of Advent, the Thursday before Christmas. And we'll be talking about the upcoming uh, weekend, the upcoming celebration of that beautiful season, as well as many other things which we hope you will supply at the bottom of the hour for our Straight Talk segment. The phone number, just to keep that in mind, is 877-795-0122. You can also leave questions on our Facebook page at Real Presence Radio. So we're continuing our conversation with Nancy Gord about this uh, short story, The Necklace, by Guy de Maupassant, and we were talking about the vices that uh, had uh, captured uh, her heart and that how they were coming out in full display, you might say, when the even big evening arrives that she is acting as the belle of the ball but uh, loses this uh, necklace, um, which was considered the accessory that really uh, delivered her into the class and status that she wanted to be at this moment and um, trying to figure out how to you know how how to make up for it that they needed to get a replacement etc and rather than to come clean and to admit right away to this friend what had happened there is this whole charade you know that's going on through the remainder of uh, at least in in their their dealings with one another um through uh, the the rest of the story it it reminds me in a sense of how we as penitents might approach the Lord when we need forgiveness, you know, that we can either Mm -hmm. be consumed with shame um, and want to hide ourselves, or we can recognize the abundance of God's mercy and say, you know, even though we we, we messed up, we are going to be, uh, we're going to be received graciously and forgiven. So the the contrast between those two things is, is remarkable, isn't it? Right, and it's it's interesting. It's always the author's choice where he wants the story or where she wants the story to go. And I have thought so many times in 
if I rewrote the story, what would happen, and we've spoken a, a little bit about this, if she had gone to her friend and said, I am mortified, I am so ashamed and embarrassed, but I have to tell you, in my haste, leaving the grand party, I lost your necklace. Now, what would be interesting to me, what, how would her friend reply? Is the friend going to come clean and say, it was just made of paste? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it, maybe, what did she say in the story? It was worth maybe 500 francs. Yeah, basically a costume piece and it nothing. It was a costume of, piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, sh- and, like, please don't beat yourself up too much about it. You know, we can set up a little repayment plan. But I am not sure her friend would have done that. Because yeah. that would mean her friend would have to come clean and say, I loaned you this necklace. I lent it to you. Yeah, and there'd be no one upsmanship, you might say. <laughs> right, so, right. It, it goes you back know, to that, so. that earlier theme that you were talking about, about appearance of things or truth uh-huh. of things. And so, like, even, like, the marriage is official, but, you know, where, where's the love, the friendship? It's it's uh, external friendship, but, you know, true friends actually confide and they share their faults and their weaknesses with one another. Right, and and the onus would be then upon the friend to be the graceful one and the one to say even if even if it had been worth a lot of money in, to kind of understand that this this is a material thing and this woman is abashed she's suffering she's embarrassed i mean this is a woman who wants to be in higher society and then if she would have acknowledged the loss of the necklace which she did not until the very end so so another thing that you know comes so i'll have to say for myself the for me the the happiest part of the story is going to be it's terrible, but the happiest part of the story was when she was discovering work. She discovered work and working herself and and actually cleaning and doing you know discovering all these things. And cause it, again, it doesn't give us much detail about how that affected her or whatever. But it, it to me, it sounded like she was becoming a person. She was becoming real, even to the point that it got her to be able to be honest with her friend in the end. And, you know, and I was so looking for this redemption, you know, this kind of the res- right. redemption point in there of how mm-hmm. oh, it transformed, you know, the her pride actually worked for her, that she actually learned humility. She, you know, became... <laughs> and it did, I, yeah. did, I didn't get a redemptive point in the end, but maybe I missed well, it. <laughs> oh, but the thing, and this is, we talk about the marriage here, and her husband takes on this burden. You know, we, the necklace is lost. I will give up my, it was a small inheritance, and put it toward the purchase of a replacement necklace. He took on extra work. He not only worked during the day, he worked in the evening. She got rid of all hired help. She did all kinds of cleaning and became, it even says in there, she was, she was very much a drudge. She lost her beauty. As a matter of fact, at the end, when she comes across her friend, her friend doesn't even recognize her. Yeah, right. So what was so important to her, appearances. Yeah. She was vain. She was proud. And look how she was humbled, mm-hmm. which you would think would, would bring her, and Guy de Maupassant does not mention this, but that should have brought her closer to Christ. Right, this, this, this hard for. work yeah. and this, yeah. this giving up the of sacrifice, of, mm-hmm. or, or you want right. to hear like how the two of them, the husband and wife, 
working together for such a common goal caused them to grow greater in relationship and identity with one another. <laughs> right, right. We only have a couple of minutes left here, Nancy, but I wanted to come back to something that you had mentioned earlier, and it was something that resonated with both Father Leffer and me, that there are a lot of echoes in the theme of this story to something uh, written by the American author O. Henry called The mm-hmm. Gift of the Magi, uh, right. about people um, giving of something in order to repay when in, in, in the, the interesting twist to that. Could you just uh, elaborate on that for a moment? Well, The Gift of the Magi is a wonderful story to read this time of year, and it's very well known. But the contrast between Della in that story and Mathilde in the necklace is just, it couldn't be more stark, the difference. Della loves her gym. She could care less that they have a very, very humble apartment. And it's in their first apartment. It doesn't have fine things at all. But she so wants to give her dear husband, and she appreciates his work, who works so hard, something of value. And what does she sacrifice? And to her, it, it isn't a painful sacrifice. She has her gorgeous hair. And here we go back to the vanity of Mathilde. Della has her gorgeous hair cut so that she can have money to buy her gym something special. And this is so very, very different from what we see in the necklace. We have this sweet marriage between two young people starting out together and the, and the love that they share. And it's, it's sentimental and it's upbeat and it's optimistic and it's full of love and a different kind of sacrifice than what we see in the, in the necklace. Right, Matilda is actually kind of hardened by the events of life rather than softened, you might say. You know, in fact, uh, when her uh, friend sees her and doesn't recognize her, you know, it it it, it really takes her aback how the you know the, how those sacrifices had been grinding her down rather than exalting her, you might say. Uh, right, and she didn't. And again, this is when you don't have. Christ that's in your life. Well, we could say like that, the, that, the absence you know. of the grace of the Holy Spirit. So, like in O. Henry's story, the you know the, they're sa- they both sacrifice the thing to get for the other, and they end up in a better place, even though they don't have the material thing in the end. We're we're, we're in this story. There's an absence of you say redemptive grace, and, mm-hmm. and it's it just it's a very it's a very human story. It's a very human right. story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know, um, Nancy, if you um, and uh, Father Slattery had been uh, chatting at all about uh, the possibility of what we might discuss next in this um, in this segment. But uh, are, are there any um, are there any well, works that I have, have come not, to mind? Uh, well, one that has come to my mind because I think it's something that everyone should read, and it's it's not. I'm well, okay. I know, here we're going to head into deeper winter. So I was thinking of a Russian author. Okay. And I was thinking of Crime and Punishment. I was like, Dostoyevsky, there we go. The man yeah. Russian. Okay. Crime and Punishment. Thank yes. goodness I, I read it already, so I can go off oh, of my well, memory. It's, it's a, it's a, but it is, it, is, it is a beautiful winter in which right. to read it, right? We're not in the depths of deep <laughs> darkness and despair, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, the, it definitely is one of those classics. People who have even just a cursory knowledge of literature, they hear that name all the time. It comes up on Jeopardy. Right. Or <laughs> various things like that. So, Nancy, I'm really curious. Why were you so hesitant to, to, to share with us what it was? Well, I don't know. I'm like, it just is the very title, you know, just sort of is... She expected wailing kind of and gnashing of teeth from our studio. Some of the selections in, in fine literature, they, they tend to be kind of serious and heavy in tone, you know, and so... Uh, so everybody everybody gets a month. They get a month here to dive into Crime and Punishment and Dostoevsky and get a, get a good running head start, you know. Yeah. Yep, yep, so. yep. Brew, brew, that, brew that pot of coffee and uh, <laughs> find your favorite nook. And Gather the children go. around your knees and read, <laughs> <laughs> and re- read to them every night, you know. <laughs> Indeed, oh, indeed. Yes. Wonderful. Yes, Nancy Gord, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking of the time, as, as always. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Yes, and to both of you as well. It's always a delight to spend uh, time on Literary Lane with the two of you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Well, get those questions ready for us after we uh, step aside for a couple of minutes. We'll be launching into our uh, Straight Talk segment. We want to find out about what you are curious about with uh, The Faith, 877-795-0122. And we'll begin that after this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local. This is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. As you think about your future, there is one more thing you can do to add certainty to your life. Write or update your will and estate plan. If you pass away without a plan, all you have worked for in life, financially and emotionally, will be decided and divided by someone you may have never met before. We have some tools to help you in your planning. For more information, please visit our plan-giving website at rprlegacy.org or call Mike at 701-290-4503. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. In Luke 5, Jesus invites Peter, weary from a night of fruitless fishing, back out onto the Sea of Galilee to cast his nets one more time and trust Jesus for the results. To cast into the deep is to let go of our own opinions, desires, and the way things or people should be. To cast into the deep, even where we have already fished with no results, is to let go of independence, autonomy, and self-determination. The sooner we realize that our beloved is holding us in his hands, the sooner we can get about the business of doing our Father's will, the sooner we will become disciples. Proverbs sums up this great secret lesson learned by the saints. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Let go and trust the Lord to direct your activities and your life. He knows what He's doing. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. Did you know you can listen to Real Presence Live anytime on any podcast platform? Just search for Real Presence Radio on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on the Real Presence Radio website. Then subscribe so you don't miss any future shows. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating so other people can find us as well. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. 